This is AFF On Air, the Australian Frequent Flyer podcast, bringing you the latest news, tips and tricks for Australian travellers. G'day, welcome to episode number 16 of AFF On Air. It is Saturday the 27th of July 2019 and I'm your host Matt Graham. Coming up in today's episode, what's in an airline's safety video? Find out why some airlines produce great safety videos while others produce some absolute shockers. And James Green joins me again this time to discuss travel insurance, why it's important to have, and the things to look out for when choosing and claiming on a travel insurance policy. That's coming up later in the episode, but first let's take a look at what's making news on Australian Frequent Flyer this fortnight. And the Department of Transportation in the United States has officially approved the new joint venture alliance between Qantas and American Airlines. The granting of antitrust immunity allows the two airlines to coordinate on pricing, schedules and frequent flyer benefits. Qantas has promised that the deeper alliance with American Airlines will result in more benefits for frequent flyers beyond what is already possible through the One World Alliance. We also expect that Qantas and American Airlines will start code-sharing once again on each other's Trans-Pacific routes. Shortly after the final approval was announced, Qantas revealed the schedule of its new routes from Brisbane to Chicago and Brisbane to San Francisco. Brisbane to Chicago will run four times a week starting on the 20th of April 2020. And when it launches, it'll be the fourth longest non-stop flight in the world and the second longest non-stop flight for Qantas after Perth to London. The return flight from Chicago back to Brisbane is blocked at a whopping 17 hours and 20 minutes, which is an extremely long time to spend in one of those narrow Dreamliner economy seats. Brisbane to San Francisco Moonrail will run three times a week, starting from the 9th of February 2020. Tickets are already on sale and there is also some award availability on the new flights already. The Canadian government has introduced new air passenger protection laws which include mandatory compensation to passengers affected by airline delays, cancellations, overbooking and lost baggage in Canada. The mandatory compensation payable for delays will depend on the length of the delay and it ranges from 400 to 1000 Canadian dollars per passenger. If you're denied boarding in Canada due to overbooking, you'll now be entitled to compensation between 900 and 2400 Canadian dollars, again depending on how late you are arriving at your final destination. If your bag is delayed or lost in Canada, you'll also be entitled to compensation up to 2100 Canadian dollars for any ex- expenses incurred. The new laws also include minimum standards for airline communication during delays, standards for tarmac delays, downgrades, and also fair price displays, which must now include all of the taxes and other charges payable. The regulations apply to all flights operating to, from, or within Canada, regardless of the airline. Qantas has implemented two-factor authentication on all Qantas frequent flyer accounts following a trial that lasted over two years. You'll now have to enter an SMS verification code when logging into your Qantas Frequent Flyer account, transferring points or accessing personal information on the account. The added layer of security is designed to prevent Frequent Flyer account fraud. You can now earn Velocity Frequent Flyer points when using the Ola rideshare service in Australia and New Zealand. You'll earn one Velocity point per dollar on all rides, or two points per dollar when travelling to or from an airport. New Ola users that uh, download the Ola app and link their Velocity account can also earn 1,000 Velocity points on their first ride until the 30th of August this year. 
Finally, Singapore Airlines passengers can get free lounge access or a $20 duty-free gift voucher when transiting through Singapore en route to another destination. The deal is available until the end of September when travelling on a return booking through Singapore with either Singapore Airlines or its offshoot Silk Air. If you opt for the lounge access, you'll be able to use one of the Ambassador Transit lounges in Changi Airport for up to two hours. And these lounges are equipped with showers, so it's a nice way to uh, pass the time if you do have a transit through Singapore. The offer is available as part of the Changi Transit program. That is what's making news this fortnight. For more regular news, updates and travel deals, make sure you've subscribed to the Australian Frequent Flyer Gazette or follow us on Facebook. A few episodes ago, I talked about a lady who was kicked off an Air New Zealand flight for refusing to watch the safety video. Now, it goes without saying that she obviously should have paid attention, but does she have a point about not wanting to watch that particular Air New Zealand safety video? I've seen the latest uh, safety video from Air New Zealand, and it is absolutely terrible. Not only don't I like it, but I can barely understand what they're saying. Now, for listeners that haven't flown on Air New Zealand this year, here's an extract from the Air New Zealand safety rap. Any loose items be stored overhead or under the seat, not under your bed. And if you see the fasten seatbelt sign, return to your seat, buckle up. Cause seatbelts with low and tight across your hips. Keep it on to watch your trip. If you need to get up, just simply lift the lever like this. Alright, I'll put you out of your misery and no, that's not a hip-hop track. That is Air New Zealand's current safety video. But while that's pretty bad, Air New Zealand has also produced some excellent safety videos over the years, including its famous Lord of the Rings video. Here's a taste. Welcome to Middle-earth, my friend. I'm here to guide you on your journey, so cease your rebel rousing and listen very carefully and obey all crew member instructions and all illuminated signs. If the seatbelt sign were to illuminate... Air New Zealand quite admirably uses its safety videos to market the airline and to market New Zealand. They're not just your boring old safety video, and so this also means more people will actually pay attention, which of course is a great thing. And Air New Zealand, of course, is not not the only airline to use its safety videos as a marketing tool. You might remember the previous Qantas safety video, which showed off lots of different places from around Australia. G'day. Welcome to Qantas. Today, you're in safe hands. Thanks, Dal. Give us your attention for the next few minutes, and we'll run through some important safety instructions. We'll also show you the real spirit of Australia. Think you've seen it all before? Not like this. Now, of course, it's great that airlines are making an effort to produce safety videos that people actually want to watch, but there is a fine line between making these videos attractive and conveying the information that is required in a way that the passengers can actually understand. So what are airlines actually required to do in their safety demonstrations? Well, the rules vary country by country, but in the case of Australia, CASA, or the Civil Aviation Safety Authority, has some minimum requirements that airlines have to follow in their safety briefings to passengers. 
Now, airlines don't legally have to show a video. It can be an audio announcement, of course. But there are a few uh, safety features and rules that the airlines have to point out. Specifically, these are that smoking is not allowed, how to use a seatbelt, the location of emergency exits, flotation devices, including the location and use of life jackets, the stowage of hand luggage, the use of oxygen masks, if the plane has them, and also any special survival kit uh, equipment that the plane might have on board, including perhaps life rafts. In addition to this, airlines must also orally inform passengers that they are legally required to follow crew member instruction signs and placards, the location of safety information cards, and also any pre-takeoff requirements, for example, that seats and tray tables must be locked and stowed in the upright position. And as long as airlines convey this information in some way, uh, the regulators don't really mind how it's done. And as a result, there are, of course, some extremely boring safety videos, um, but also some very engaging and catchy ones. Now, a personal favorite of mine is the animated Lego video from Turkish Airlines, which features Lego versions of the cast from the latest Batman movie. It's very, very clever. Here's a small piece. Step four. It's not a flashy airline safety video without a song and dance that will get stuck in everyone's head for the rest of the flight. I got this. Yeah. Attention to all passengers on this flight. We're gonna have a good time in the air tonight. It's some party in the sky. Let's pack our dreams and fly. It's a party Stop. It's gonna get stuck in my head. No one wants to hear a song about safety. Moving on. Emergency exits are located on each side of the cabin at the front, center, and rear. The exit signs help you locate them. Locate the nearest sign, which may be behind you. Hey, there it is. Ow. Oh, I do love that video. And while well, creativity is great, airlines, of course, need to remember, though, that not all passengers speak English as a first language or even at all. And producing a safety video like that Air New Zealand rap may seem like a good idea at, a time, at the time, but if nobody can understand it, it might actually be doing more harm than good. Time now for a quick break. When I return, James Green will join me to discuss travel insurance. Hi, this is Clifford Reichland of the Australian Frequent Flyer. Are you having difficulty in redeeming your Frequent Flyer points? Did you know that Met manages the popular award flight assist service from Frequent Flyer Solutions, our sister website? This personalized service makes it easy for you to get where you want to go for the minimum amount of points. Go to frequentflyer.com.au for more. Well, you may remember that I had James Green, who is also known on AFF as Jacques Vert, on the podcast on a previous episode to talk about the Qantas One World Awards. I've got James back on the podcast this week to talk about something completely different. Welcome back to AFF on Air, James. Oh, thank you, Matt. It's great to be here. Now, James, uh, just, just before we get on to talking about travel insurance, which is what I've got you on this episode for, have you seen the, the latest Air New Zealand safety video? And did you have any thoughts on that? Uh, yes, I have, Matt. And um, look, I, I understand that the airlines try and make the safety videos entertaining so they can actually get people to watch them. But that one just left, left me flat. I had no idea what they were trying to say. And I ensure that a lot of people didn't get anything out of it. Are there any other airline, because obviously you fly quite a lot and on lots of different airlines, are there any other airline safety videos that you've sort of looked at and thought, what on earth is this? Uh, yeah, um, I don't like the current Qantas one, the line where they're ordering coffee and the, the lady says to them, I have a heavy night last night. 
I'm not sure what that is um, saying to some of our overseas uh, guests on board Qantas. I'm not a wowser by any means, but I'm just not sure that's the image that they should be putting out there about Australians. And I guess the other one that did worry me once was when I was on a brand new a Royal Jordanian 787 and the safety video was about a Boeing 767. Hopefully the pilots knew which plane they were flying. Uh, and yeah, that Qantas video, it is a bit of a shocker, especially when the video it's promoting Australians overseas. I did much prefer the previous Qantas safety video, which showed you all of the really beautiful places around Australia. And actually, I remember coming back from an overseas trip a couple of years ago on Qantas. I'd been away for quite a while and I got on the plane and I had a tear in my eye looking at uh, all the beautiful places around Australia and I wasn't the only one, even the lady sitting next to me was uh, was moved by that. And I, I don't feel that at all with the current one, which is a little bit of a shame. Yeah, I like that particular one as well. I thought it was very well done. Anyway, we're not here to talk about airline safety videos. We're here to talk about uh, travel insurance. And James, the saying that you often hear is, if you can't afford travel insurance, you can't afford to travel. What's your take on that? I definitely agree with that. The horror stories you hear from time to time about people who have been overseas and been injured or something's gone wrong and come home with a huge bill that they can't afford to pay, you, you just shouldn't shouldn't even entertain it. You often hear some horror stories in the media or through friends or acquaintances that about um, people that haven't taken out travel insurance. Now, you've had a friend who had a particularly bad experience or really a, a really terrible experience. Could you just um, tell us what happened there? Yeah, certainly. Um, a friend of ours who was born in Peru and lived in Australia for many years decided that she wanted to go back to Lima to see her mother, be, who was getting quite elderly. When she arrived at the airport in Lima, she had a heart attack, ended up in a coma and never recovered. So she spent two years in hospital in South America in a coma the whole time. The costs, I think the initial hospital she went into were uh, around 700 US dollars per night. That was just for the bed. And after a few months, the family had to move her to you know, lower grade hospitals or cheaper hospitals. I mean, I should say less expensive hospitals. I don't know what the care was like. But after two years, it basically bankrupted the whole family. Her husband uh, sold the house. Her children took out extra mortgages on their own properties. Even one of the daughter's in-laws chipped in money to try and pay off the hospital bills and I think some of the extended family in South America also did. So you can imagine two years in hospital in South America is a very very large sum of money and unfortunately she didn't have any travel insurance and I think that was because she had a, a heart condition and decided that the extra premium was something that she couldn't afford so she decided to take the risk but not only did she passed away, but it basically bankrupted her whole family. That, that, that's absolutely terrible um, and, and very unfortunate, and especially when that could have been prevented by actually taking out uh, travel insurance. That's just heartbreaking. You had a, not you, but your wife actually had an experience last year where you were also, by just by pure coincidence, also in Peru. What happened with your wife and, and how was that uh, resolved? Yeah, we did. Um, we visited uh, the Colca Canyon, which is down near Arequipa. My wife picked up a bit of a cold, and then we moved on to uh, Cusco. And by the time we got to Cusco, she was feeling very unwell and had a was starting to run a, a very high temperature. So she took a couple of Panadols and went to bed, and I uh, took the opportunity to send an email to our travel insurance company just to let them know. And I said, if she's no better in the morning, can I arranged to have a doctor see her. Of course, the travel insurance company said, yes, of course you can get a doctor, 
but remember you paid the first hundred US the first hundred dollars as an excess. Now that was fine, but the reason I did that was because there's a clause in our travel insurance policy that says you must contact them at the first opportunity. The insurance company was never going to say no, she can't see a doctor because that might uh, make them liable if something drastic happened afterwards. Certainly wouldn't be good PR for them either. After that, the doctor came. She had a um, chest infection. He gave her some antibiotics and a number of other drugs to take. Said, yep, she'd be fine to continue on to Machu Picchu because that's actually lower in altitude than Cusco and the air is more humid, which he said would be good for her. So we had a, a nice day there. Came back the following day and uh, my wife was starting to deteriorate again. The following day, we went to see the doctor, same doctor. Uh, she was admitted to the hospital in Cusco, where she spent four nights with acute ammonia, acute bronchitis. It triggered an asthma attack, and they also said her recovery was being hindered by the altitude. So four nights in Cusco Hospital. She was then airlifted, well, I shouldn't say airlifted. She was put on a commercial flight from Cusco to Lima with a doctor and an oxygen machine, uh, where she spent another two nights in hospital in Lima. So not a great experience for her. But fortunately, um, because I'd already contacted the insurance company, I then notified them that um, she'd been admitted to hospital and everything went really well. And what company had she or you taken out travel insurance with? That particular uh, insurance policy I bought through Qantas Ashore, which is underwritten by QBE. And when we got to the hospital in in, in Cusco, first question they asked me was her name. And the second question was, what travel insurance do you have? And when I said QBE, they said, oh, that's great. We like working with them. After you got to Lima, did did your wife's condition improve or uh, did you have to come back to Australia? It did improve to the point where she was released two days later. Um, We spent three days in Lima while she regained a little bit of her strength. And the travel insurance company was quite good. They rang us a couple of times and said, it's entirely up to you. We'll help you get back to your original itinerary or we're happy to bring you back to Australia. They did add that they were concerned that we were going to some fairly remote parts of Chile and up to Bolivia, up to you know higher altitudes again, and that if she had another incident, that she may be in places where the medical care wasn't so good. My wife... Um, at that stage was feeling very tired and exhausted having pneumonia so she was quite happy to come home and they made all the arrangements and flew us home and it was really good and in fact we got some frequent flyer points and status credits for the flight home <laughs> and that's uh it's a little it's not really a win considering um what happened but it is nice because you had booked that trip on points and actually it was part of a, a Qantas one world award which we spoke about in the previous episode what ended up happening with with your frequent flyer points did the travel insurance company also refund uh, any of the frequent flyer points from the unused portion of that trip yes they did and one of the things to look for when you're looking at a um, travel insurance policy is to check thoroughly the terms and conditions and if you're booking on points look for a clause that says what happens with your frequent flyer points. Um, If it's just a short trip, uh, maybe not such a big deal, but if you're booking for two people on a One World Award, which is 560,000 points all up for the two of you, or if there's four of you, it can be, you know, um, over a million points, it'd be nice to be able to get those points back if something, something goes wrong. So our policy did have a clause in there that said that they would refund the points. That wasn't too big a hassle other than getting a letter out of Qantas that was correct in saying what we had in fact done. That took about four or five different versions, but we eventually got 
a letter from them that was close enough to what had happened that we could use it, put that into the insurance company, and a couple of weeks later, they refunded our points. Or I should say, the points on a pro rata basis. So they calculated how many points we'd used up getting to Lima and refunded the rest, which was a little bit over half of the 560000 that we spent. That seems quite fair. Do you know, um, do all travel insurance providers refund frequent flyer points, or is it only certain companies that will do that? This is not an area I'm an expert on, Matt, but from the ones I've read, some of them have clauses about frequent flyer points, and some don't. So my tip there would be, if you're looking at a policy that seems to suit you on, on other grounds, send the company an email and ask them that specific question because it's nothing like having it in writing. That's right. And there are a few different types of travel insurance. Could you just take us through what are the different types and and what uh, type of insurance did you have on this particular trip? The main types that I'm aware of, of course, are the ones that you pay for separately and ones you get with your credit card. Um, And I normally use the one where I take a separate policy and you can get a single trip policy or an annual trip policy. And I like to get the annual trip policy because we fly regularly. So an annual policy, you it covers 12 months. So our policy covers the two of us for 12 months. Actually, it only covers my wife if she's with me on this particular policy. There are some that'll cover both of you if you're traveling separately. But this one, she she's covered if she's with me. And because we always travel together, or almost always, it suits our needs. And It goes for 12 months and we can do as many trips in that 12-month period, provided they're all under 60 days. So maximum trip length of 60 days and we're covered as against a single trip policy where you say, well, I'm going on the 1st of May and I'm coming back on the 27th of June and it just covers that particular period. And uh, with the credit card travel insurance, do you find that that's sufficient to cover, you know, what you need out of a travel insurance policy? Because a lot of people say, oh, you know, I don't need to buy a policy because I get automatic... uh, travel insurance with my credit card what's your thoughts on that well i guess it it varies with different people and what you're doing where you're going and so on so it may be quite adequate or it might even be very good for some people depending on where they're going however i think the important thing is not only with credit card insurance but one that you buy separately to thoroughly read the terms and conditions of the policy and make sure that it actually covers what you're doing one of the issues with the credit card insurance is As we get older, we often have pre-existing medical conditions. They may or may not be um, covered automatically. In my wife's case, having been in hospital in South America in the previous 12 months, most of them would not cover her automatically. She had to put in an assessment form. And they either loaded it by $1,000 or more or refused to cover her at all. Most of them said, no, they won't cover her within, within 12 months. So... If you just assume your credit card is going to cover you, you could be in for a nasty shock. The other thing with the credit card insurance policies is that there is often an activation clause. On some of them, you have to pay for your return airfares or you're not covered. Some policies will cover you if you're on a one-way airfare. Uh, Some of them, like St. George, which I actually looked at my latest um, one, you're covered if you spend $500 on your travel costs. So that could be flights, it could be um, hire a car, it could be hotels. But if you spend $500 and that's per person using the card, you're covered. Now, if if you buy an airline ticket and you're both on the ticket and it's over $1,000, then that ticks that box. If you hire a car for over $1,000 and it's in one person's name, the main driver, then you're not covered. 
because you have to have $500 in the other person's name to have them covered. I'm talking about a spouse or a partner, of course, in this instance. And all of these cards are different. So the thing is to read the conditions, make sure that whatever you have to do, you've done. And, of course, if you're like me, you tend to churn and burn cards a bit, make sure you don't cancel that card until your trip's over. Now, are there any other, uh, I guess, catches that people should be looking out for with travel insurance? The other one is that most policies, perhaps not all, but most policies I've looked at have a clause that says that you must contact them at the first sign of trouble if something goes wrong, or if you're in a place where you can't make contact them within 24 hours of reaching a place where there is communication. That's what we did in South America, and that worked very well for us. I know a lady who had a flight cancelled in South America, so rebooked another flight herself uh, for about $4,000 because it was done at short notice. When she got back to Australia, the travel insurance company said, no, they're not paying because she was supposed to contact them and let them make the arrangements. Now, I understand the insurance company's policy, and I hate to say that because I don't want to defend insurance companies by any means, but they would have a contract with all the airlines around the world, and they probably would have got that flight for at least 50% of what she paid. So what she should have done, of course, was contact the travel insurance agency and let them sort out the issue for her. Would have saved her a lot of worry, and she would have got her money. She wouldn't have been out of pocket. And finally, when's the best time to buy a travel insurance policy? Should you buy it as soon as you've booked your flights, or is it better to wait until closer to the trip? Uh, this is a, an interesting point. There's a couple of points in there. Certainly, uh, when you're booking the flight, it depends a bit because if you're paying cash, uh, you'd want to book it as soon as you part with your money. Uh, if you're booking one of those um, award flights, like something like an around-the-world um, ticket, and you're booking well in advance, if you have to cancel the 6,000 points per person cancellation fee, so you might decide that you're willing to take that risk until a bit closer to the time. So take all that into consideration. The other thing with it is that if you book up an annual policy, the coverage starts from the date of the policy that as you do it. So if you take the policy from the date of your first flight and between booking the flight and taking you and taking the first flight you get sick, well then you're not covered. But on a single trip policy, you're covered from the day you pay for the policy and and for the length of the trip. So with the annual ones, you just have to keep in mind you say, well, I'm going on the 1st of May, so I'll take the policy from the 1st of May. But you're not covered until the start date of the policy in that case. And that's a good point because the travel insurance doesn't only cover you while you're away. It also, if you need to, if you get sick before the trip starts or something happens and you need to cancel or make changes, uh, it can also cover you for that. So that's just something else to be aware of, I guess. Just thought it's worth mentioning before we wrap up that um, if you're an Australian Frequent Flyer Gold member, there is a discount available on the Columbus Direct Worldwide Multi-Trip Premier Policy. There's some more information about that on the Australian Frequent Flyer website if anyone's interested in that. Thanks a lot, James, once again for coming on to the podcast. It's a pleasure, Matt. Anytime. I hope you found that interview insightful. Interestingly, some countries have now actually started to mandate that all tourists visiting have to have a travel insurance policy. And one such country is Belarus. Earlier this year, I visited Belarus, and when you fly into Minsk airport, they actually ask you at the border to see your travel insurance certificate. And if you don't have one, you're required to go to a special counter where you can purchase travel insurance to cover the duration of your stay in Belarus. And it costs, it's actually very reasonable, it costs around $2 a day. Personally, I have no issue with this, and in my case, I already had a travel insurance policy, which I showed to the lady at the passport control, and yeah, everything was fine. 
Uh, and Belarus is not the only country looking at this. Uh, Thailand is actually considering doing something similar, and they're talking about this at the moment. So in a way, I think this is fair enough. I mean, you really should have a travel insurance policy anyway, but if you don't, um, it's not only uh, good for the traveler to have the policy, but it also can save the country quite a bit of money in dealing with people who are uninsured and end up in hospital and things like that. But uh, do you agree? What? Let me know what you think in the AFF On Air discussion thread. That is just about it for another episode of AFF On Air. Before I go, just a quick shout out to the lovely Australian Frequent Flyer members that I met in Canberra last Wednesday night for the AFF dinner there at the Kingston Hotel. AFF is not just a Frequent Flyer forum, it's also a community of real people and our members regularly organise social events and meetups and... These are a really good way to not only meet like-minded people that are interested in travel, but you can also learn a lot of tricks that don't quite make it onto the forum or onto this podcast. To see what events are coming up, have a look at the Meetings and Social Events Forum on AFF. And for those of you who either live in Sydney or would like an excuse to visit, this year's annual AFF weekend gathering will be held in Sydney from the 18th to the 20th of October. I'll be there, as will the owner of AFF, and I'm looking forward to a great weekend. If you're interested, I'll have a link to the relevant thread in the episode notes. As always, thank you so much for listening to this fortnight's episode of AFF On Air. For more information about anything discussed in today's episode, check out the episode notes, where you'll also find a link to an AFF thread where you can discuss anything from today's episode. Thank you to everyone that's left a comment, question, or a rating, or subscribed over the past fortnight. If you haven't already left a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you normally listen to this podcast, please do it now. By subscribing or leaving a review, you'll help us to reach more people, so I would really, really appreciate that. I'm Matt Graham, and I'll be back next fortnight with more news, tips, and tricks for Australian travellers. Until then, happy flying!